Good to be here this morning uh, to share the word. So excited to preach the word every week, really, um, for a lot of reasons. But I think the greatest reason is because nothing can change our lives like the word of God. Really nothing. It is the we're hearing the words of God that can just get right into us. Uh, it can actually raise us from spiritual death. It can, it can change everything. We've experienced that before. You're, you're one way. Your heart is hard. The word of God comes. It does something on the inside. It rearranges everything. And then you come out on the other side soft and filled with the love of God. Only the word of God can, can do that. And so I hope that this word encourages you and searches you and moves you this morning. I uh, hope that my personality doesn't get in the way. Um, it's, it's kind of a funny design, the way the Lord uh, has chosen to do things, that he's taken people and he fuses people with their quirkiness and personalities and he fuses people with the Holy Spirit and we are these earthen vessels, these imperfect, quirky vessels that God chooses to flow through. And so don't miss that I'm speaking the word of God this morning. Don't look at me too much. Hear the words that come from, from the heart of God. Well, we're just going to look at one verse this morning. Uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. As we continue in our study of Ephesians, I've been joking that we'll be done with this in 2025, <laughs> around the same time that the pandemic is over. <clears throat> uh, no, hopefully it'll be, both will be way before that. But uh, just looking at one verse uh, this morning, uh, Ephesians 5.10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I just, again, you know, want to just look at this one small verse. Some of you might use the NIV Bible, and the verse is worded slightly different. It goes like this, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Uh, the ESV tells us to discern what is pleasing. So discern, that's not really a word we use that often, but it simply means to, uh, to recognize or perceive something. A paraphrase could, could be, make sure you understand exactly how to live in order to please the Lord. So this idea of pleasing God touches on one of the deepest longings that we have as human beings. Uh, Ecclesiastes, for example, says God has put eternity in our hearts. You know, we have this innate desire, even this innate connection with, with God, this longing, this craving. We, we want to, to be okay with the one who made us. The evidence of this desire to please God or the gods or whatever people's concept of, you know, whatever made all of this happen is. But the evidence is plain in that virtually every culture on the planet 
in every generation has held some sort of idea of what is necessary to please God or the gods. They might not call God God, but as I said, the gods or the great spirit, the universe, the higher power, and so on. While the general idea of concern to please God is the same, the specifics, as we know, take very different shapes, right? Uh, one of the most common ideas we see, uh, for example, in various religions is that, that of sacrifice as a way of pleasing God or appeasing God or the gods. This might involve animal sacrifice or sacrificing material things, valuable things, or even, in some cases, human human sacrifice. Another common idea of how to please God is by strict adherence of religious laws. The hope is that if, if enough moral effort is made and good works done, God just might be satisfied and allow me into paradise or keep me uh, from being too long in purgatory or I'll be reincarnated as something really special. And you might know the religions that I'm kind of referring to there. Others take a very different approach and reimagine God as super easy to please, not demanding at all. They imagine God as accepting pretty much anything as long as it seems pretty genuine. Usually these folks don't allow or don't uh, follow a specific religion, but they just have a loose concept of God as the easy, easygoing grandpa. And we've all met people like this. They just think God is love and they don't have too much. There's no religion or no real specifics about it all, but they just kind of have a vague, sentimental idea that God is probably good and loving. Then there are some, of course, I think a very small percentage that so badly want to get God off their backs that they try to rid themselves of the concern of pleasing God by convincing themselves that there is no God. Um, they say they don't believe there is a God, but I don't believe them. Well, I could keep going, but the point is that the desire or concern to please the creator is profoundly human. So this verse in Ephesians 5.10 is, is, is pretty important. It's telling us in, in so many words not to just guess at what pleases God or to, to make something up, but it's urging us to really figure it out, to find the answer to the question, what pleases God? God, to assess our own lives and ask, am I really pleasing to God? It's a question humans struggle to honestly consider. It made me think of the night I became a Christian in the spring of 1989. I was in an apartment of uh, college students at the time. A party was happening in the house, about 20, 25 people in the house, drinking, smoking pot, doing cocaine. I was kind of separated at this point in my life. I, I did a lot of drugs, but at this particular point, I was starting to open up to Jesus. And so I had a couple friends over, Christian friends, who were talking to me, kind of teaching me about Jesus. 
And so I was trying to stay away from the drug stuff. But my roommate uh, kept coming in and out of our room where I was you know, talking with my new Christian friends, and he was clearly trying to pick a fight. Uh, he was mocking us. He was high as a kite, and, but also telling us that he was a Christian too. He was a good Christian. Um, you know, he was starting to get really mean toward my friends, so I finally stood up to him and asked him this question. I was actually very, very quiet the whole night just listening, but I finally just was fed up and I asked this one question. I said, do you really think that you're living your life the way God wants you to live it? And he blew his lid. He became furious and stirred up several others in the house against me, and they threw me out of the house. I was actually living in that apartment, and they, you're done, you're out. Packed my bag and left and was radically saved about 15 minutes later. (laughs) But the question I asked my friend clearly touched a nerve. It uncovered his insecurity in his standing with God. God doesn't want us to be insecure or in the dark about this. It's his desire for us to be reconciled to him and to know that we are in him. Now, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation do not hide the answer to this question of what kind of life pleases God. God reveals plainly what pleases him and what does not please him. So we're really without excuse. Of course, as humans, uh, we get a little confused, right, because there are so many religious books out there, you know, claiming divine inspiration. Each tells us, again, like what specifics we have to do or not do, you know, to please God. So how do we know we're following the right book? That's a good question, right? I'm not going to get too deep into that, other than just to say this, that we in the Christian faith have a lot more than just a Christian book of rules and do's and don'ts to please God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God himself, in us, speaking to us. And this Spirit bears witness to the word of God. They're in sync with each other. And the word of God bears witness to our conscience that we were born with. The truth of scripture bears witness with human experience as well on every level. And all of this bears witness with the testimony of millions of Christians from every continent over the last 2,000 years. There are other layers as well that enable our faith to be not merely a strong opinion, wishful thinking, but deep, fully persuaded conviction. Again, I can't get too deep into that right now, but most, I think, listening, probably most in this place or people who are listening online, um, 
would, I think, agree that the Word of God is the Word of God because you've come to that place. But others, I just, I don't know, I felt I needed to say this, but others might not be sure about it yet. Um, Whatever category you're in, I just want to invite you to consider what Scripture says about pleasing God. One thing I want to make clear, too, before opening this up, is that there's a difference between, really hear this, between God's love and God's pleasure. The Bible makes it plain that God loves, he loves everyone. He loves the planets. The most famous verse probably in the whole Bible, right, is what? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Or I think of this verse from Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The God revealed in Scripture loves all, desires all, is good to all. He makes the sun shine on all people, right? Whether they're good people or not. He's kind and merciful even to his enemies. Um, It's not his desire that any perish, but he wants all to come into relationship with him. It's also revealed in Scripture that God has a special love for his chosen people. Those who have been reconciled to God are called a special treasure, to God, the apple of his eye, right? Um, This isn't so hard to understand because I think as parents, some of you are parents, um, you know, we we love all the kids on the planet. I mean, we love other people's kids. They're so cute. And uh, or we have compassion on on kids who are suffering around the world. Uh, We have a deep love for all children everywhere. But there's a unique and much stronger affection that we have for our own children or even our grandchildren. Um, but there's a difference between God's love for us and God being pleased with us. We can be loved by God at the same time that we are displeasing God. In fact, God loves those who are at enmity with him. Again, this isn't hard to understand from what we know about earthly fathers. Just think about a father, a dad that has seven kids, let's say, and uh, one of his children might be ungrateful and rebellious, you know, maybe even uh, robbing and and hurting his uh, siblings. Well, that surely would not please the dad, right? That would bring a lot of grief to the father. Another child might just be indifferent, And just not really interested in spending time with the father anymore or the family. And that too wouldn't be pleasing to the dad, right? That would be, I think, kind of sad. The father would feel sad over that. Another of his children might be selfless and and devoted. Well, this one would bring great joy to his heart. I think we all understand these things, right, in the natural. But somehow we get them confused when we think about God. But it's really not that different. Well, here's a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 20. A wise son makes a glad father. Proverbs 17, 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father. I think it's actually that simple with, with God. In the same way, God loves all he has made, but is pleased with some and is not pleased with others. And there are different shades of this as well. It's not just like black and white. 
For example, David's sin of adultery and murder, his sin with Bathsheba, it says that the thing that David did greatly displeased the Lord. God is described as grieved by some, vexed by others, and provoked to wrath by still others. Different levels. And then, you know, on the positive, God always loves, for example, a cheerful giver. So we give our gift, we give our tithe or something, you know, we do it out of a joyful and cheerful heart, out of gratitude. But there is Mary's gift of breaking the box of extravagant perfume that was worth a year's wages that was just greatly moving to Jesus. So there are different levels to it, but it's an awesome thought, isn't it? To think that we could live in such a way or do certain things that would please God, be a joy to God. And equally awesome or awful is to think that we could live in a way that would be displeasing to God or be be a grief to God. So what does please God? Many things could be listed as we look through the scriptures. I mean, we could list hundreds of things, but um, I'll just you know, give a few of them. We know that the Lord is pleased when we love and forgive each other. Um, when we give cheerfully and sacrificially. When we pour our souls out in prayer. The Lord loves to hear those prayers. Even our eating and drinking, ordinary things can can glorify God, the Bible teaches. Our songs of worship, the words of our mouth, and the meditation of our hearts can be pleasing to the Lord. Resisting temptation and doing the right thing can bless God. Caring for the poor, oh, that's all over the scriptures, is something that what we do for the poor, we do for the Lord. He, he, he hears that, he feels that. Blessed by that. Being a good husband or wife or parent, being a good friend, being the kind of employee that gives a hundred percent whether the boss is looking or not. Having a heart that loves Christ supremely above all else. Suffering persecution because our of our loyalty to the truth. I could keep going. But there's something deeper, more internal that pleases the Lord that Scripture talks a lot about. I'll just give you one verse. It's a certain disposition of heart. And this is from Isaiah 66. It says, this is the one to whom I will look. Uh, The NIV puts it a little differently. It says, this is the one in whom I esteem. He who is humble and contrite, and trembles at my word. It's a certain condition of heart. It's the way we relate to God and what God is asking us to do. Even contrition is a a certain almost brokenness or being crushed over anything in us that would be displeasing to God. It's a deep desire to honor God. It's that kind of heart. 
Well, what we have to be careful of is judging ourselves merely by outward do's and don'ts. You know, lists are good. I like lists. But we have to be careful that we just don't have a checklist of here's the 20 things I got to do, you know, to please Jesus. It's deeper than that. Because it's possible, listen, to do right things with a wrong heart. There are many examples of this. Cain and Abel, for example. The Cain and Abel story, Genesis 4, shows both of the brothers making a sacrifice to God, right? But God's response to their sacrifices is totally different. I'll read it, Genesis 4, 4 4-5. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. <laughs> that Cain was very angry, I think, reveals where his heart was, right? If God rejected his offering, you'd think he would have thrown himself at the mercy of God, and cried, Almighty God, what have I done? How, how, have, I, how have I sinned against you? Uh, show me, please. I'm, I'm, I'm blind to it, I think. Search me. I want to honor you. Make my offerings. I want my offerings to be sweet, fragrant. But, but that, that isn't how he responded at all, of course. You know, he, he's angry with God, and he's even jealous of his brother. He was likely angry with God because he sacrificed some good stuff that he didn't really want to sacrifice. And all for nothing, he didn't get anything out of it. He was perhaps hoping his sacrifice would come back to him with a big blessing from God. I think he felt ripped off. His heart was all wrong. And there are times when God's people seem to be doing right things. Uh, Praying, singing, attending worship, reading the word, abstaining from sin even, separating ourselves, being disciplined in different ways. But the heart is wrong, and God is displeased with it all. And just in case you don't believe me, I'm going to read you a couple examples right from Scripture. Isaiah 1 says, bring no more vain offerings. Offerings are good. It's good to bring offering to God. But he says, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. That verse really punched out at me. It's saying that, you know, I I can't endure lifestyles of sin mixed with uh, faithful church going. Do you hear that? God's like, no, I don't like that. Your new moons and appointed feasts, my soul, he's not indifferent to it. He says, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And then one more example from Amos chapter 5. He says, I, again, he's not indifferent about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. These guys are really a little, a little off, you know. There's, there's a lot of sin there, but, you know, they come, they do these sweet little songs, and 
it's kind of nice, you know, it's kind of, it's, he's not indifferent at all about it. He feels strongly. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. And he says, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I think you could paraphrase that last verse. You know, God is saying, let the way you treat other human beings be godly and do the right thing in all situations. Certainly many of the religious folks of Jesus' day were guilty of this very thing, right, Um, that Isaiah was talking about in Amos. They memorized huge portions of the Bible. I mean, huge portions. They they had extreme rules for separation um, and just obedience to all these different laws. They prayed, they fasted, they gave. They were totally devoted. They were famous for their devotion to God. But Jesus said of them, you are serving your father, the devil. That didn't go over very good, by the way. That statement, of course, they, they plotted to kill Jesus for some of these strong words that he gave to them, calling them out on their hypocrisy, you know, saying, outwardly you're so beautiful, but inwardly you're like dead men's bones. He said, how shall you escape the damnation of hell at one point? So Jesus was not impressed at all or pleased at all by their piety and their show of religion. Now, before we get too hard on the religious guys in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, because it's easy to do that, I want us to you know, bring it back home. Let's bring it back to us. We're not even thinking about the church in America. We're thinking about Wren. We're thinking about the Wren family. We're thinking about this community those who are listening this morning. The question for us is, how, how, can we, how can we please God? Well, I want to stress, first of all, that unless we are born of the Spirit, we cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the flesh just means in their normal sinful nature, what they were born with. Just the, they're just normal human beings. They may be really good. They may be really trying really hard. It just, all of that is, it's impossible to please God. I mean, sometimes we get, you know, people get wounded by that or offended. Well, my goodness isn't good enough. Look, it's, None of our goodness is good enough. Don't you, you know, we're not picking on you. It's like, this is the condition of the whole planet. All right, you know, uh, those who are in the flesh, which is like all of us are born in the flesh, cannot please God. So uh, don't, you know, don't take it personally. We, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit. That means that, let me just unpack this. 
Anyone who is operating solely out of their own human goodness cannot please God. Even the best moral efforts in religious works are filthy rags, the Bible teaches. Most people in the world are completely ignorant of this and hold a very high view, right, especially in our culture in America, of human goodness. They think humans are so good that surely if there's a God, he'll be cool with everyone and he'll, be, he'll appreciate all of the human goodness that's happening and he'll accept everybody into his heaven. Wow, they could not be more wrong about that. The only way that we can even begin to please God is by having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We can't even get into the arena of potentially pleasing God unless we have the new birth experience. It is this passing from death to life. It's not enough to just believe about the Bible or say some prayers or attend church. We must be born Again, as Jesus taught us in John chapter 3, we must be in Christ and Christ must be in us. Romans 8, again, says, you, however, speaking to God's people, you are not in the flesh but are in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And then he makes it really clear. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to God. That's Romans 8, verse 9. So we must examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith and are really in Christ or not. Do we have the Spirit dwelling in us? Have we been made new? Do we have assurance of eternal life? Do we, have we been transformed from the inside out? Do we have a nature within us that constantly moves us to, to know God and to love God and exalt Jesus? If you're thinking in your, in your mind, I, no, I, I, don't, I don't think I, I do have those things, or I, I don't really know, I urge you to do what Scripture commands people to do who are in that kind of unregenerate state. Turn to God. If you have breath in your lungs, uh, you should be hopeful. Because you're not dead. You haven't died, lost, and unregenerate, and in your sins. You still have breath in your lungs, which means God's mercy is being outstretched to you. So turn to God and, and, and kind of do it like on the quicker side. This isn't something you want to procrastinate about, you procrastinators. This is something to get done, you know, to go urgently to God. Acknowledge your sin and your need for him. Cry to God for mercy. Plead with him for the gift of eternal life. Ask for a new birth, for a new heart. Surrender. Don't come on your own terms. You know, we don't come to God like as though we're doing God some great service. As, you know, it seems like God needs some helpers, you know, to advance his kingdom. So we're going to offer our services and talents now, we don't come in that kind of spirit at all. We come as broken sinners in need of a Savior. Come humbly as a sinful soul asking for mercy. Cry continually like this until you are born of the Spirit. Listen, new birth doesn't always come when we uh, you know, pray a 43-second prayer for it. Kind of like 
babies aren't born, right, in a minute or five minutes. I think I, my mom was in labor for like, I forgot, like 22 hours or something ridiculous. So sometimes there's, there's a bit of a, a groaning and crying for mercy that precedes the birth, the new birth, the spiritual rebirth. So don't just say a sinner's prayer and call it a day. Well, how will you know that the Spirit dwells in you? That's always a question, right? Well, how will I know? Listen, you'll know. You will know if you're like, I don't know. I wonder if it, it's in me. I wonder if it's in me now. No, like, the, the, don't. It's not, okay? This will be your experience. Ezekiel 36. I, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and move you to walk in my ways. Listen, if you're a sinner just doing your own thing and that happens to you, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. Now, those who grew up in the faith, I don't even, that's a whole other thing, okay? Because you've been swimming in this since you were babies and you don't even know what it's like to not be in this. Uh, so that's like another situation altogether. All right, coming in for a landing here. A couple more sections. I want to speak to those who are already born of the Spirit, who are in this place or listening online. If you are born of the Spirit, you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. So in one sense, we live in a state of acceptance by God because of Christ's righteousness, right? We understand that. But experientially, we can do things that are pleasing to God or displeasing to God. Sometimes Christians get confused about this and think, you know, I've heard people kind of talk like this. Oh, we're just terrible, ugly sinners, and we always will be. Uh, but, you know, we're pleasing to God. The only reason we're pleasing to God is because we're covered by Jesus. There's some truth in there, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 4, for example, warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's talking to Christians. We can do things as Christians to displease God. Lying, sexual sin, sloth, unforgiveness, idolatry, and a hundred other things. How we live determines whether we are pleasing or displeasing to God. Uh, the Corinthian Christians, for example, were celebrating the Lord's Supper in a way that was unworthy. They weren't treating each other the right way. They were kind of demeaning the poor in their midst. And Paul and God were displeased with that. Peter, at one point, the great apostle Peter, was being such a hypocrite that Paul, the apostle Paul, rebuked him publicly in front of everyone. Consider these words of Paul to the church in Corinth. He says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food. It's a little, I mean, he's kind of like insulting them in a way. For you were not ready for it. I mean, he's calling them babies. And even now, you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I mean, he's speaking to Christians here. Consider the words of Jesus to the seven churches in Revelation. His message to each church wasn't a generic, oh, my dear children, I'm so pleased with all of you. Like some school teachers, right? I'm proud of all of you, even though inside they're thinking, that kid is such a brat. That kid is so bad right there. But, you know, we can't say that. We just, oh, I'm so proud of all of you and pleased. But Jesus is so honest, isn't he? And so when you read his letters to each of the seven churches, I mean, he lays out specific things that he is not pleased with. Their lukewarm devotion, their smug lack of need for God, their drift away from their first love, their toleration of certain doctrines, their pretense of being spiritually alive, but actually they were dead. He also communicates what he's pleased with, their good works, their faithfulness, their loyalty to the truth. Well, I don't want us to miss the most important part of what I'm trying to say this morning, and that's that God looks at the heart. He always is concerned with with the heart. He's not looking at it merely what we do, but why we do it, the motives. That's what we'll be judged on, actually, if you look at 1 Corinthians 3. You know, the sort of work that we have. Not just that we, oh yeah, I went to church, check. You know, I went to church every week. I gave my tithe. I mean, you know, I did, we did all these things. We can do all of these things. And we can find that it's all burned up to nothing. And it's wood, hay, and stubble on the day of judgment. Because it was done from a wrong heart. Now it's easy for, especially those who have been Christian for many years, it's easy for us to fall into a sort of autopilot we're, you know, doing everything blamelessly, but meticulously, but inwardly, our heart attitude is flat. No affection for God. We're operating out of duty. We're not operating out of a glad sacrifice, but we're kind of trudging along, doing right things because well, you know, we've got to do these things. We feel obligated. You know, we want God's blessing. We don't want to you know, get God mad. We give, but we don't do it cheerfully. We serve inwardly, but we really actually don't want to. Or we do things like give and serve so people think highly of us. We can get like that inside. Of course, nobody knows. Nobody knows. People from the outward, they just think, oh, well, that kid's totally, that guy's totally devoted. They, this person's so faithful and reliable. But we know our hearts, come on. And so does God. This underlying heart is everything with God. He takes no pleasure in right actions from a wrong heart. We can even get to a point of, listen, feeling annoyed with God. That he doesn't appreciate all that we're doing. And if a prophet 
like Isaiah, were to come along and rebuke us and say, you know what, your songs, because they're not coming from a right heart, are, are kind of a stench before God. Would we be miffed? Offended? Because, you know, after all, man, it just takes so much effort to do the right thing when our hearts are not in it. It's kind of like Cain, right? Would we be like Cain and get angry? I just want to encourage you, listen, to not let your heart sin. Don't let sin cling to you. And also, don't settle for right actions without affection. That spirit-produced affection in the heart for Jesus. If your heart is cold toward the Lord, be alarmed. Like, be alarmed. Be bothered by it. Pray and wail until God breaks you. Humble yourselves before him. I mean, tell him, tell tell God, God, I, I don't want to offer lame worship from a heart that is just flat. I want my heart to be on fire for you. Tell him, God, I don't want to have cold prayers. I don't want to give you mechanical morality. Fill me afresh. Revive me, God. Put a new heart in me. Break my pride. Do whatever you have to do to break this hardness and to flood me, to drench me with the Holy Spirit so that I can love you the way you deserve to be loved. David put it this way, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's stand together and let's pray and we're going to do another song of worship or two or whatever. I'm not sure what we have going, but let's call out to the Lord. Father, we cry out to you even in this moment and we ask that you would Light us, light us within with your love. God, we don't want to be flat. We don't want to be heartless. We don't want to just offer you outward service. Lord, you you don't want that. You want our hearts. You want our love. You want our affection. You want us to, to have a heart that makes much of Jesus. You want to be our our everything, our number one, our passion. Jesus, do that work in us. We confess that we can be cold and mechanical at times, Lord. But we're saying this morning, we don't want to be. We've given, we've served, we've done the right things so many times, but with a, with a heart that isn't a good heart. Lord, we, we don't want to do that. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Drench us this morning. Amen. Let's worship together.